Welcome to Across the States, the state-focused premier policy podcast. I'm Dan Reynolds, your host. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about communism and socialism, and you guessed it, why it's not that great. I'm sitting down with Carla Jones. She's the ALEC Director of the International Relations and Federalism Task Force. Thank you very much for making some time and sitting down in the podcast booth with me. Thank you, Dan. Of course. And we also have calling in straight from the West Virginia mountains, Senator Patricia Rucker, who knows uh, just a couple things about socialism, I'd like to say. Thank you very much for calling in. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. So our listeners who maybe aren't aware of your story, can you give them a brief maybe history or download on um, your relationship with socialism, especially as it comes to Venezuela? So I am a first-generation immigrant, was born in Caracas, Venezuela, and came to the United States in 1981. My father got a job that required him to come to the United States, and it was supposed to be temporary. Our plans were always to return to Venezuela, where we had our family, and uh, I must admit, loved Venezuela, considered it an ideal uh, place. It was a democracy just like the United States. It actually copied the United States Constitution and was very free, very not free in every aspect, free market, encouraging entrepreneurship. Um, The government did not really get involved in people's lives. There was no income tax. It's just a really great place and everybody you know there was poverty there were people who had less than others but there wasn't um any of this feeling that you were deprived you had enough to eat you had your family around you you had your faith folks were pretty happy in venezuela anyways so we came to the united states i ended up meeting my husband when i was 17 and decided to marry him and only then did i put in the application to become a resident of the United States and received my citizenship in 2004. And uh, when I was growing up, we would go to Venezuela every other summer, all the years that we were here, and that continued even after I married my husband. So I married him in 96, and we went to Venezuela in 96. We went in 98, and the last time I was in Venezuela was in 2001. Mm. That's awesome. I know um, Carla actually does a lot of work with um, the Victims of Communism Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about that and uh, how it might relate, uh, especially with the model policy that you have, Carla? Well, the Victims of Communism Foundation was established by an act of Congress in 1993. It was spearheaded by representatives Tom Lantos, the Democrat, and Representative Jesse Helms to educate Americans about the ideology, history, and legacy of communist regimes. They joined our task force about a year and a half ago because they wanted to establish November 7th as a day to commemorate the 100 million victims of communism. They realized that Americans were beginning to forget communism's legacy and to actually prefer socialism to capitalism. In fact, a recent YouGov and Victims of Communism Foundation poll showed that the majority of Americans believe that socialism is better than capitalism. 
Do you think that the people in West Virginia might be interested in establishing November 7th as a Victims of Communism Day? Well, I can tell you that I am very interested now that I know about that uh, model legislation in sponsoring it. I, again, just like Venezuela, I hate to say, West Virginia is a state that has um, a lot of things going for it. It's got incredible resources. It has great people, hardworking people. But, you know, we've had um, policies in this state that um, have not led to good things. And we are now trying to recover from those and fight back from some of those um, previous policy decisions that have caused West Virginia to really suffer in many ways. And when you were visiting Venezuela, what changes did you see take place over time? So as I was saying, you know, I've been there every other year and I, you know, was there when Hugo Chavez was left let out of prison and he immediately decided he was going to run for president and he campaigned on the promises of making everyone equal and promised that he was going to go after those who were corrupt and who were keeping the people down and part of his platform was you know the United States is the enemy and has used Venezuela and we need to push them away they're not good and so those are the kind of things he was campaigning on and I was in Venezuela and I remember talking to my relatives and you know friends I had there in Venezuela it's like you don't believe any of this do you I mean obviously this is hyperbole and not true the united states is a friend to venezuela there has never been any bad relations between venezuela and the united states Um, and most of the people were like well you know i think he's got good intentions i think he he's just trying to help the poor and that was the perception and i remember thinking like what are you what are y'all thinking like if he's lying about this and you know he's not saying the truth why would you believe anything else that he's saying or promising um about half of my family you know really lean towards supporting him that we call them chavistas (laughs) and the well I mean that's the term they use for themselves I'm not making it up and then the other half was like me doubting what he was saying and saying no that you know we're fine we don't need you know any radical changes in this country Um, unfortunately at the end of that year when there was an election Chavez did win and the very first thing he did upon winning election was saying we need a constitutional convention and we need change the West Virginia Constitution. Mm. By the time that I went to visit back to Venezuela two years later, he had been president for one year. The constitutional convention had not really started yet, but there had been a lot of talk and discussions about it. And in that visit in 2001, I can tell you, I could already sense a difference in Venezuela. So he had only been president for one year. And for the first time ever, I felt nervous walking down the street by myself. Um, I'm a pretty pale looking Hispanic. And in Venezuela, you have people from all over the world um, who immigrated to Venezuela and became Venezuela citizens. So we really do have every single color. 
but it was very clear that my children, who of course are half me and half my husband, um, were not Hispanic looking at all. And a, the whole year of ranting against the United States and ranting against the foreign influence that was hurting Venezuelans and they're against you, like I sensed a suspicion and I sensed a negativity that I had never, ever felt before. And of course, even though I'm Venezuelan, I have an accent when I speak Spanish, just like I have an accent when I speak English. <laughs> and I became nervous going to the store down the street you know they have little shops um without a relative with me because i would speak up and there would be a different reaction from the shopkeepers than i had ever seen before and that was just very recent into chavez's presidency you had also mentioned a story about an uncle that you have in Things didn't really go hard downhill in Venezuela until after the constitution was changed and people started to, um, the government started to nationalize businesses and chased away uh, the business owners. And so all of a sudden, businesses started closing down, people stopped having jobs for themselves, and there started to be some actual suffering. Well, riots um, and also protests and rallies started to occur in Venezuela. Um, I had, like I said, half of my family who was against Chavez or didn't really totally trust him. And those who had trusted Chavez very quickly changed their mind, said, this is not good. But this was after he had changed the constitution and in the constitution I had given him additional years of being president. So these rallies and protests, I had relatives who joined in on them. And one of the things that the Chavez regime did is it blackballed you. If you ever showed up in a protest, they would write your name down and the name was circulated to all the banks and businesses so that anyone who showed up at a protest was denied loans and could never get a job. The government would actually go after the business if they had an employee who showed up at a protest in any kind of protest or anti-Chavez rally. And so one of my uncles, that's what happened to him. He lost his job and he continued, of course, to protest and show up at rallies. And one of the times that he was walking home, and I don't remember, you know, from what, maybe from visiting a relative or something, um, a group of thugs came and grabbed him, essentially, you know, kidnapped him, drove him to an isolated area, and then beat him uh, very severely. He hit his head. He lost consciousness. He was fortunately left and they didn't you know do anything more like you know i hate to say it shoot him which mm -hmm. happened to other venezuelans but he was left there and he was found and fortunately survived it but he did suffer some health issues from that severe beating and when he got better he went right back out and joined into another protest march that occurred um, on the streets of caracas and after that, he was sent a anonymous letter to his home, and it said, we are going to get you, and we are going to make sure we finish the job this time. 
So at that point, he became very scared and concerned, and not just for himself, but, you know, he had a family. So he went to the U.S. Embassy, and I don't know all the details of what happened, but fortunately, he was able to come to the United States and has been given refugee status here and is here living in Florida right now. Wonderful. Yeah, that's great. And what do you think American millennials misunderstand about communism? I mean, I'm, I'm listening to your stories, and I've heard stories from all kinds of people living under repressive regimes. And it, I, why do you think millennials do misunderstand the horrors of communism? Well, just like my, you know, half of my relatives in Venezuela wanted to believe in the good intentions they thought that President Chavez had, it sounds so good that, yes, everyone should have what they need to live. Everyone should, you know, get better wages. Uh, it just sounds good. It's a very easy thing to support. It's it's the easiest thing in the world to just want to give more. But the question that most people don't ask is if you, what what are you giving them and who are you taking it from to give mm-hmm. so you know we talk about you know nationalizing healthcare and you know my husband's a nurse he he wants to get paid for his work he's not doing it for free so if you're going to grant people healthcare that you know everyone is going to get and we're not going to worry about them paying for it you're essentially saying that my husband should donate his time and his, you know, professionalism and work. Like, that's not realistic. And most of the, you know, the millennials who are listening about socialism, they hear the promises, they hear how everyone will be treated fairly. You know, that question, that saying what's fair, you know, you have to think, what is fair? Do you know what fairness is? Because if you work hard, you, I would consider it would be fair that you are able to enjoy what you worked hard to get mm-hmm. and to earn. Um, but in their mindset, they're just thinking of justice, you know, nice view of what everyone should have. And unfortunately, it, you know, I, I can agree. I think everyone should have a warm place to live enough food, should have health care, but the reality is there's only one way you can provide that and promise that, and that is by taking from others. Yeah, so I really appreciate everything that you've been been saying, uh, Senator Rucker, um, especially what you're talking about uh, with millennials and what they should understand is coming from a millennial myself. Um, a lot of our listeners, uh, probably the majority of them, are state legislators. Uh, what would you wish state legislators who don't know you or maybe who don't understand your story, what would you really wish they took away from today's podcast? Well... I definitely want to urge folks to think about the consequences of what they're saying and doing. I myself, you know, in the role that I'm in, feel like I need to educate others. You know, it, it, it's great to raise minimum wage. It's, it's an easy thing to do, easy vote to, you know, 
get support for, but what are the consequences? Think about what that means. It means it costs more for the employer to hire the employee and they might decide to hire less. And it also means that you're making it harder for those who don't have, you know, the high enough education to be worth that amount. And you're making it harder for those people to have a job. So you got to think about the consequences of what you do. And in terms of the whole socialism, and we're confronting it every single day in the United States, almost nonstop policies are proposed that are essentially trying to punish those who produce, those who have worked hard. And Yes, we all care about those who are suffering and those who don't have enough, but you have to realize that when you punish and take away from those who are producing and working hard and the ones who are trying to create businesses and create economic opportunities, you chase them away. There is still the ability for that person to move out of your state and even out of your country. And what you're left with is all folks who need and not enough who provide and that's exactly where Venezuela is today. And do you believe that having a day to commemorate the victims of communism and including education on communism in school curricula Do you think that that could go a long way towards educating the next generation of Americans? Absolutely. I think it is essential that we do educate and folks understand um, because they have so many things that they're educated on without understanding the ramifications. And communism is one of those, um, you know, choices that you make. You, You make a choice to go in that direction. You need to understand what are the ramifications. And I'm sorry, every single country that has experimented with communism, it has led to loss of human life in astronomical numbers. Well, Senator Rucker, that does bring us to the end of our podcast today. Thank you so much for leading the charge on education in general, and then also educating on this really important issue uh, of Venezuela and socialism in West Virginia. And thank you so much for calling into the podcast studio today. No problem. Thank you, guys. Yeah. And Carla Jones, once again, our ALEC Director of the International Relations and Federalism Task Force. Thank you so much for all that you do in uh, educating on communism and socialism and putting this podcast together today for us. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. And with that, we will end our segment. But if you have an idea or would like to be featured on the Across the States podcast, please email acrossthestates at alec.org. I'm Dan Reynolds, your host. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council.